Good morning. Isn't it such a delight on Sundays uh, to feel that taste of eternity? We sing worship songs to God. And now as a family, we get to open up his word and hear what he has to say for us. Just enjoy that taste. It's, it's beautiful. Um, we're going to continue today our study of Titus. And we're looking today at most of chapter 3. It'll be verses 1 through 11. And we've been examining Titus from a perspective of that we've been entrusted. And Keith, he kicked us off and he led us with that we were entrusted with the gospel. And Zach, a few weeks ago, entrusted with leadership. And then last week we had Roman bring us that we've been entrusted with godly living. But he focused that godly living will come when we have a, it's a result of being grasped by God's grace. And we're not going to move off of that much today. You have to be grasped by God's grace. And so the topic today will be, will be focused on God entrusting us with a new humanity. And then next week, Brent will get to share with us, which we're all excited about that he is here, he and Sarah, about God entrusting us with good works. So today, God entrusting us with a new humanity. And I pray that we, as we walk through this this morning, the truth that a God who loves us so much and he allows us the opportunity to be made new, that the lies of a God who is controlling and consisting only of rules and regulations will not be heard. Because that's exactly what we're trying to address with the word entrust. It's you put something into someone's care or protection. Now, would you give something to someone that you wanted them to care and protect if you did not trust them? Of course not. It reminds me a lot of what Zach was talking about a couple weeks ago when they were trying to find that na a nanny for Taylor. They weren't just trying to find someone who would just manage Taylor well. They were looking for someone that they could trust and who would take care and protect Taylor. So as we look at Titus this morning, we have to remember that Paul is writing to encourage Titus to encourage the church at Crete that Jesus Christ has specifically entrusted them with his message. Christianity is much more than a simple acknowledgement of a man named Jesus. It's an understanding that you're separated from God, the God of love. You're broken. You're so much so, you have nothing to offer this holy and righteous God. The God of love takes on flesh in the God-man Jesus Christ, living a sinless life, dying in pain for the separating debt of sin, defeating death and evil by rising from the grave. When you place your faith in Jesus, it's an acknowledgement that your brokenness knows no end. And all you can be is a recipient of the work he has completed. This is the grace we live in. And that grace, as Roman pointed out last week, will change the way you live if rightly understood. So if you're not a follower of Christ, I encourage you to listen this morning as you hear about the most powerful being who is love, offering a way for you to find purpose in life. And fellow brothers and sisters, we get to take heart as our God's heart is laid bare for us again this morning. He has entrusted you with the greatest of treasures. 
So if we're zoning back in here, this week we're going to focus on how the grace of God creates a new humanity, and a big part of how that is displayed is how we live as citizens of heaven in this world. Let me pray for us before we continue. Heavenly Father, uh, thank you for this morning. Thank you that we live in a country where we can freely come and worship you. We pray for protection over our brothers and sisters throughout this world who are being killed for their faith today, imprisoned, beaten. They show us what it's worth. I pray that, Spirit, you would stir those affections in us, that we would die for this faith. I pray you'd meet with us, Lord. In Jesus' name I pray, amen. Okay, so let me just read to us the chapter that we're going to be going through. It's going to be verses 1 through 11. I'm going to read it to you real quickly. Titus 3, 1 through 11. Remind them to be submissive to rulers and authorities, to be obedient, to be ready for every good work, to speak evil of no one, to avoid quarreling, to be gentle, and to show perfect courtesy toward all people. For we ourselves were once foolish, disobedient, led astray, slaves to various passions and pleasures, passing our days in malice and envy, hated by others and hating one another. But when the goodness and loving kindness of God our Savior appeared, He saved us, not because of works done by us in righteousness, but according to His own mercy, by the washing of regeneration and renewal of the Holy Spirit, whom He poured out on us richly through Jesus Christ our Savior. So that, being justified by his grace, we might become heirs according to hope of eternal life. The saying is trustworthy, and I want you to insist on these things, so that those who have believed in God may be careful to devote themselves to good works. These things are excellent and profitable for people, or for everyone. But avoid foolish controversies, genealogies, dissensions, and quarrels about the law for they are unprofitable and worthless. As for a person who stirs up division after warning him once and then twice have nothing more to do with him, knowing that such a person is warped and sinful, he is self-condemned. All right, so you'll see we have quite a bit to work through, and I'm sure you're excited about that last part. Um, We're going to break this up into four smaller parts and end with a summarization, and hopefully they'll help us chew this all up. So the first part, and should be up here, the four parts here, um, we're going to focus in verses 1 and 2, and that is, what does a Christian look like living in today's culture or society? The second part will be focusing in on verse 3, and that self-reflection allows for growth. It allows for growth. And the third part a good chunk of the time will be verses 4 through 8, and humans are being entrusted with and empowered to be a new humanity, which creates a new culture. And the fourth part will be verses 9 through 11, avoid distractions, cling to the cross. All right, so let's jump into part one, and that's going to be Titus 3, 1 through 2, or verses 1 and 2. So, Remind them to be submissive to rulers and authorities, to be obedient, to be ready for every good work, to speak evil of no one, 
to avoid quarreling, to be gentle, and to show perfect courtesy toward all people. Paul's transitioning from godly living, which is what Roman was focusing on last week, among a groups of people. And now he's shifting to a specific focus. How does a Christian, one affected by the grace of God, live as a citizen? How do you live in culture? And some of our favorite words are what Paul starts out with, right? Remind, submit, and obey. Oh man, we love to be reminded of things, right? It just shows we have everything together. Submission, check. Love to place ourselves under others' authority. And obey. We love, love, love to follow rules. Surely he's not really asking us to remember that we need to be submissive and obedient. Wait, is he throwing in good works? Speaking evil of no one? No quarreling? Be gentle? Show courtesy? I get to choose who I show courtesy to, right? No. It says, for all people. This is really simple stuff, right? No one has an issue here. No one has an issue here when we speak about Donald Trump or Hillary Clinton or homosexuals or Democrats or liberals, Republicans, teachers, Muslims, in-laws, uh, that wasn't supposed to be in there. Uh, or other races. We have no issues there, right? Surely there are no quarrels that we're engaging in on Facebook or Twitter or other social platforms. Listen, we have to stop ourselves. I can already see wheels turning in everyone's heads. I'm, how do I combat this guy? He's coming at me pretty quick. And I promise you, I'm not coming at you. I know your heart because I know my heart. It gets twisted. We hear these commands and we try to just dismiss them based on our own intuition and our own principles. What we're doing in those moments is we're acting as if Christ never entered this world, as though we're not bought with a price, as though we're swimming in a pool of our own righteousness and not grace. We think we have it hard in this day and age, right, with our rulers and our authorities. And we have to stop and see who is calling us to remember, to obey, and to submit. It's a man imprisoned by his ruler and authorities for his faith that Christ did enter this world. A man who knows he's swimming in a pool of grace. And a man who is later beheaded by the evil ruler Nero who killed many Christians. There are many reasons we can create that allow for us to justify our way into dismissing the standards placed upon us by our rulers and authorities. However, Paul is telling us if we do that, we're affecting the actual progress of the gospel. It's not about you. First, Christianity was never and will never be, ever be, a political stance. And if it was, Jesus would have just you know, wiped out the Roman authority, taken on the government, and said, I have declared victory. Second, if we choose to justify reasons to not submit to our rulers and authorities, it will only become a short time before we carry that into our gospel authorities. That's dangerous. We'll begin to move ourselves back to the place where we came from, that Paul's going to address in the next verse. 
You see, our focus is not solely on rulers and authorities, though. It's also on other citizens, other people, even ones that disagree with us. So how do we show courtesy to a culture that mocks Christianity? How do you not just show courtesy, but how do you move beyond courtesy into being ready to do every good work for those who mock you? Don't hear me saying that Christians are meant to be doormats and to be run over as we move in obedience towards others, being gentle and showing courtesy. Do hear me saying that we do not repay evil with evil. We are not to respond out of self-righteousness, leaving damaged reputations in our wake as we make sure ours is secured. Again, I'm sure you're thinking that all sounds pretty good, but now how do I do this? How do I begin to grow in a behavior like this? I'm glad you asked. We're going to look at verse 3, which is going to be part 2. And that is that self-reflection allows for growth. Let me read you verse 3. For we ourselves were once foolish, disobedient, led astray, slaves to various passions and pleasures, passing our days in malice and envy, hated by others and hating one another. Man, I think that's a great depiction of being apart from God. Now as we begin to have thoughts of all those people who are in need of this message, Paul thankfully grounds us. We ourselves were once foolish. Don't put this on others. This is a big indication that a true encounter with God and His grace produces change. And spending a little bit of time reflecting on ourselves should reveal the grace bestowed upon us. And boom, like magic, a thought occurs about someone else. That's hard to do. Growth can occur in that moment. You see, sin has the opposite effect. And Paul Tripp says it really well. He says, sin reduces your life to only think about yourself. Sin reduces your life to only think about yourself. And here comes malice. Here comes envy. Here comes hate. You see, we're free to reflect on our thoughts, our behaviors, past, which a lot of us really need to do, and present. Because in Christ, there's no condemnation. Amen. As we encounter our sin nature, it should drive us deeper into a realization of our sinful tendencies and the greatness of God and his mercy. Meaning as we encounter topics, people, authorities that rub us the wrong way, remember that our past rubbed God the wrong way, and that is a massive understatement. We were fools, disobedient, slaves to passions that led to envy and hate. And so what did God do? He slandered us. He gossiped about us to others. He hated us, right? No. He moved toward us in love. He forgave. He sacrificed. He suffered. He died. He revealed his character to the world. And in doing so, gave us the blueprint on how we are to deal with those who rub us the wrong way. With a little bit of self-reflection, we remember, essentially, we were possessed, no wisdom, 
We resisted God's wisdom, and we followed others' lies. Our perceived freedom to sin was really a slave to the culture around us. We were followers of culture and of pleasures that led to envy and hatred. I love this insight I came across while preparing, and it was in a commentary. Bear with me here, it's a little wordy, but it's really great, the truth behind it. So, while a veneer of civilization often obscures the bleak truth, the slightest crack in the surface of society reveals the reality behind the facade. The painful truth is that apart from God, people degenerate into little more than animals wrangling over bones. So basically, when we step back and we look at our civilization, it looks pretty good. It looks like a pretty civilized society, right? But the slightest crack will reveal the truth behind us apart from God. Animals wrangling over bones. And how do I know this? Check in with a family who lost their AC in the middle of summer. What does that look like? There's some, some wrangling over bones there. Look, those temptations are, are still here, right? We, we can return to foolishness, so our struggle is to stay under the rule and authority of God. And Paul is saying that cannot happen without a realization of who you are apart from God. So we must remember we can't forget. And I would have to say that when I'm struggling to live in submission to God, the root of that problem is that I'm diminishing what he's done for me on the cross. I'm forgetting who I am apart from him. And I can make a decision to sin because I'm really not that bad. My pleasure-seeking that's outside of God's will for me, it's really not that bad. It's a warped view of myself. It tells me God only took me from a bad person to a good person. As if there's some sort of moral dilemma that's at stake. Instead of, I have been taken from death and given life by a good, merciful, loving God whose plan for me is to flourish. I must remember. And there's that word again, right? We don't just forget. We remember. I'm a son of God, held by the power of Christ's victories for me, fully loved, fully accepted, and fully forgiven. Who else would I want to run my life? Embrace self-reflection. Make time for it. You're growing one way or the other, and it's best to figure out who's ruling your growth. That's going to finish our part two. So self-reflection allows for growth. Let's move into part three here. We're going to be looking at verses four through eight. But when the goodness and loving kindness of God our Savior appeared, he saved us not because of works done by us in righteousness, but according to his own mercy by the washing of regeneration and renewal of the Holy Spirit, whom he poured out on us richly through Jesus Christ our Savior, so that being justified by his grace, we might become heirs according to the hope of eternal life. The saying is trustworthy. I want you to insist on these things so that you have those of you who have believed in God may be careful to devote yourselves to good works. These things are excellent and profitable for people, for everyone. So here comes the answer to a lot of the questions I'm sure they're starting to stir up. 
how do I change? How do I turn from foolishness and carry out the commands that have been asked of me? How do I act upon the things that are revealed in my times of self-reflection? Let's jump in. We're going to look at verse 4 right at the beginning. It says, but everything just changed. Everything just changed. The world just changed. But when the goodness and loving kindness of God, our Savior, appeared, he saved us. Not because of works done by us in righteousness, but according to his own mercy. You see, God acted on our behalf, out of his own character, and from his goodness, his kindness, his love, his mercy. We have a chance to no longer be slaves to sin, separated from God, because God acted. We have a chance to fulfill our purpose in life because God acted. This is what everyone is searching for. Everyone is trying to find purpose. Just look at the self-help industry. I looked up the numbers. Last year, well, guess this, it's always on an upward trajectory. And last year alone, it did $9.9 billion in sales. So where all these helped people, right? It's continuing to go up, $9.9 billion in sales. I have a secret to tell you, and it's going to crush the self-help industry. Are you ready? You can never become the person you are hoping to be until you submit your life to the God who created you and has acted on your behalf. So what was this act of God? Continue in the verses. By the washing of regeneration and renewal of the Holy Spirit, whom he poured out on us richly through Jesus Christ our Savior, so that being justified by his grace, we might become heirs according to the hope of eternal life. By God's grace, sinners can be justified. We can be made right. Our sins can be paid for through the life, death, and resurrection of his one and only son, Jesus Christ. The enemies of God can now become sons and daughters of God and gifted with the Holy Spirit. So how do we change? Jesus Christ pours out on us richly the Holy Spirit who by the washing of regeneration and renewal begins to empower a new humanity. Now let me read to you just a few verses. We won't turn there, but it'll help explain the washing and regeneration and renewal that's going on here of the Holy Spirit. Romans 8, 10 through 11 says, But if Christ is in you, although the body is dead because of sin, the Spirit is life because of righteousness. If the spirit of him who raised Jesus from the dead dwells in you, he who raised Christ Jesus from the dead will also give life to your mortal bodies through his spirit who dwells in you. John 6, 63. It is the spirit who gives life. The flesh is no help at all. The words that I have spoken to you are spirit and life. You see, without the Holy Spirit, new life cannot begin. A new humanity cannot begin. He is what now indwells our broken bodies, bringing truth, conviction, conversion, application, sanctification, and so much more. He's a personal God indwelling us. He's washing away the stains of our sin. 
and he's making us new. The pattern continues. What God and his grace began, he's going to continue in grace by completing it through the Spirit. There's so much more to say here, and time's not going to allow for it, but I do want to read to you from the prophet Ezekiel, who wrote 500 to 600 years before Christ even entered this world. It's out of Ezekiel 36, 24 through 27. I will take you from the nations and gather you from all the countries and bring you into your own land. I will sprinkle clean water on you. You shall be clean from all your uncleannesses, and from all your idols I will cleanse you. And I will give you a new heart and a new spirit I will put within you. And I will remove the heart of stone from your flesh and give you a heart of flesh. And I will put my spirit within you and cause you to walk in my statutes and be careful to obey my rules. You want a purpose-filled life? The God of creation, holy and sinless, whom loves with a love so pure our human minds cannot comprehend? We think we do, we don't. We won't. It takes an eternity for us to figure that out. He just says, Believe on my son Jesus Christ and all that he has accomplished, and I will make you new by adopting you into my family and gifting you with the presence of the Holy Spirit. So answering the question, how do we change? How are we entrusted with and empowered to be a new humanity? God invades our heart. He replaces our heart of stone with one of flesh, meaning the Holy Spirit, to awaken us to the vileness of our sin, the truthfulness of God's word, and the preciousness of Christ. This is the gospel. This is the message. This is the hope. So let's look at verse 8 to see how being empowered to be a new humanity creates actual new culture. The saying is trustworthy, and I want you to insist on these things so that those who have believed in God may be careful to devote themselves to good works. These things are excellent and profitable for all people. So what happens when the Spirit indwells sons and daughters of God and they believe that the gospel is trustworthy? They devote themselves to good works. I mean, Bobby's prayer was spot on. And it's profitable for others, not just yourself. You see, we get to actually follow in Jesus' footsteps. As we move towards others, as we devote ourselves to good works, we lay down our lives. Because we know that the hope laid out in front of us is a new humanity, which is just the beginning of all things being made new and Christ returning and we get to do that now. You see, we live in a culture that completely contradicts that. It tells us, I should profit despite anybody else profiting. A regenerated, spirit-led human says, people profit, therefore I profit. And this is going to reveal itself in you. It's going to reveal yourself in how you submit and obey to rulers. It's going to Show itself in how you engage with other people, how you do business, how you raise your family, how you treat your friends, how you work, how you have fun, and so on, because that is creating culture. All your decisions throughout the day, how do you engage and exist in this world? You're entrusted by God to create a new culture, 
as you live in light of the gospel. And that's going to bring us down to our fourth part, the final part. We'll look at verses 9 through 11. That's avoid distractions, cling to the cross. But avoid foolish controversies, genealogies, dissensions, and quarrels about the law, for they are unprofitable and worthless. As for a person who stirs up division after warning him once and then twice, have nothing more to do with him, knowing that such a person is warped and sinful, and he is self-condemned. Here comes another but. And it's contrasting verse 8 with what is profitable and excellent with what is unprofitable and worthless. As the Holy Spirit affirms in us that we are Christ's, fully accepted, fully loved. And you've heard me say that I don't know how many times in this message, but if you're anything like me, I need that every five seconds. So I think I'm right on track. But as the Spirit affirms in us that we are Christ's fully accepted, fully loved, we learn to avoid foolish discussions that are unprofitable and worthless. If you find yourself struggling here, you have to ask yourself, are you letting the color of your skin, your country, your wealth, your appearance, your work, your circumstances, your opinions to define you? You must remember you are defined by the grace you have received from God. And you move towards others to reveal that grace. What greater purpose is there? This comes with a responsibility, though. Grace reveals itself in many ways. Sometimes the most gracious thing you can do is separate yourself from someone who wants to be divisive. The gracious approach is to give those who want to stir up controversies over foolish things a chance to see that there's a greater purpose in life. Anything that detracts from a reliance upon justification by grace, avoid them. If no ground can be made there, then you lovingly separate yourself from them and hope that they turn from their error as they have chosen to ignore the grace of God. They are self-condemned. It doesn't mean our hope for them doesn't change. That's what this grace does to us, right? We don't just turn from people and say, There goes another person off in error. We pray and ask that they return to the grace of God. All right. That's it. Let's try and summarize all that we've just gone through. It's quite a bit. We must remember that how we live as citizens here on earth reveals who's ruling our hearts. We've been entrusted by God, empowered by the Holy Spirit, who's molding us, like we just sung, into a new humanity to create a culture that reflects this gospel that we hold as trustworthy and true. All glory is to Jesus Christ, our Savior. Will you pray with me? Father, we just thank you again for this morning. We thank you for your patience towards us. We thank you for your kindness, your mercy, your love, your goodness. God, we pray that you would work in our brokenness as you do. You'd work in our cynicism. You'd work in our judgmental minds. Spirit, will you make us new? Will you breathe life into us? Will you remind us of the truths that we know? Will you convict us?
Will you drive us deeper into our affections for Christ, our Savior, so that this world may see that you are a true and living God, so that lives can change for eternity, not for moments. We trust this in the name of Christ. Amen.